Welcome to the Survive, Scale, Soar podcast. Hear and learn through the success of others how to build the life and business you deserve. Learn to overcome failure, what it means to seek out growth, and how to become the best possible version of yourself. And now, here's your host, coach, entrepreneur, husband and father, and author of the number one best-selling book, Survive, Scale, Soar, Jeremy Williams. And welcome back to the Survive, Scale, Soar podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy. We have an amazing guest on today, Jay Papasan. He's an author. He's an executive with one of the largest, real, it, it is the largest real estate company in the world, a corporate speaker. He's got his hands on multiple businesses. He also works alongside his wife, Wendy, and they have a mega real estate team that has their, their expansion team. They're all across the country. So I'm really excited today. We're going to be talking about Jay's journey and what's gotten him to this place of, of success. So welcome, Jay. Hey, thanks for having me, Jeremy. It's good to chat with you again. It's been a while. It, it has been. And it's always good when when I do get to chat with you. Um, it's It's been amazing because I've been able to watch your journey, Wendy's journey, and, and just kind of watch that grow. And I, I think it's absolutely inspiring. And I know the people that are going to be tuning into this are going to be inspired as well because you started out as just a, a guy that wrote books. Kind of, kind of tell me about that. Well, um, I started out as a newsletter writer. Like I, I've always loved books and um, I worked in publishing in New York. And when my wife and I relocated, we got married and relocated here to Austin. There was no big publishing for me to work in. So I ended up taking the job as a newsletter writer at, Keller Williams Realty. And this is back in September of 2000. And there were only 6,700 agents in the whole company. And there were less than 30 employees. I think I was number 27 back then. Hmm. So over the first couple of years, I bounced around because it was company was growing. I got to help start a research department. I did some time on a self, you know, the, the support desk, helping people set up their websites, just, you know, kind of like startup mode. What, what do we need? I'll do it. And then I found out Gary wanted to write books. And so starting in the summer of 2020, excuse me, 20, 2002, that's when we wrote The Millionaire Real Estate Agent. That became, and I still think it's the primary, my primary value proposition to Gary and Keller Williams. It's a, it's a world that I've lived in. Um, Gary and I are great partners there. And we can create great long-form material um, together. So we've become a little bit of a creative team, but the heart of that is in the book writing. And so that's where I started. And that's where I lived until, gosh, he asked me to step up and run KWU around our in-house university. I want to say that was around 2007. Okay. So I don't like, do you want me to go all the way to the present and kind of, or like, I don't know exactly where, how far you want me to go down the path? Yeah. I, before we get to that, so the, the Millionaire Real Estate Agent book, um, yeah. You know, a lot of people consider it the Bible of, of real estate. Uh, you go to it. It's, it's really, I know y'all are, my understanding is work, you're working on a second version, uh, but it's the longevity it's had. There's nothing that's really changed a whole bunch. And it's, it's the basis, the, the thing that people should start and build that foundation on uh, to be able to grow. And, and it takes you all the way from being that individual agent to um, removing yourself essentially from the team and, and being the CEO. And so 
Um, I, I think it's really cool. How, how do you how do you go? You talk about writing long form. How do you how do you go from the idea to that finished product? Where do you start? Well, the the first place, like Gary and I, don't have a shortage of ideas. So there are lots of books that we could write, and then we usually go through a kind of an unofficial process to kind of declare what we should be writing next. So I have a feeling we'll both go to our grave with plenty of books that we never got around to. Because as you know, writing a book is very time intensive. Um, it's, it's, it's a great fulfilling thing to do, but it's very difficult. So um, we're fairly selective and kind of the place we started when we started working together is I just interviewed him and it would be um, kind of some of the same stuff that we did when we were trying to see if there was a product market fit in publishing when I worked at HarperCollins. But I asked him very clearly, you know, what do you want the business outcome of this book to be? Because that's what we're working backwards from. And that, that means this advice doesn't apply if you're writing fiction or poetry, um, all of those things. Like if you are a business person who wants to write a book, that's where this might apply. So it starts off with what's the outcome we want for our business and be very clear. And if it's okay, it's okay if you want to make money from it. Um, some people are like, I want to change the world is always the answer. And I'm like, anything else? Because <laughs> I guarantee you, if they lose a lot of money, they'll be upset. And the other one is like, what's the, the one thing, like before we even wrote that book, what's the one thing we want to change in either the reader's mindset, perspective, or actions? So what was that, what was that one thing that y'all got it narrowed down to as far as writing that book? What was the biggest purpose of that book? The, the business outcome was at that time, Keller Williams was not fashionable or relevant for high production agents. So the business outcome was we hope to change the perception of the company for top producing agents. We were seen as a place for new agents to go and get educated. The top producers, well, they went to Cowell Banker or they went to Remax or whatever. So that was the business outcome. And we wanted to change the mindset of the reader, right? And there was some how-to behind it. But fundamentally, it's how do I transition from being a salesperson to a business person? And so a lot of people think it's a book about sales. It's actually about building a, a sales service business. And I've seen it adopted by all kinds of industries from chiropractors. You know, they're in sales, right? Because they have a service business that they have to sell to have more clients to car dealerships, you name it. Law firms have written back and said, I use this book. I've used it to build my business. But you have to transpose instead of real estate splits. What does it look like when I bring on another chiropractor? What does it look like when I start a satellite office? So it's just the questions of growing and scaling a service business at its heart. Yeah, and I think I, I totally agree with that. And I've, I've heard the same thing over the years where people have used that, business, that book to, to grow their, their service business as well. And um, so let's, let's fast forward. You wrote, there were several other great books in there the millionaire real estate investor and flip and a bunch of other things that took place. But you got to this place, where I think it was almost like a passion project uh, for, for you and Gary. And it was the one, one thing. What started that conversation? Uh, that actually started um, when I was still, I think it was my second tour of duty at, in, in our education department. I had done three <laughs> at different times. I've been called into action 
um, because I know how to do how-to content, right? And manage creatives. But the uh, we had just completed writing a course uh, about lead generation. And it was this idea of time blocking for lead generation and building a business from wherever you were to, at that time, 36 units per year, which for us was kind of this place where, I mean, unless you're in a really, really low price point, uh, you would be able to afford to hire your first help. So it was kind of like that, how do I build my production up and earn the right to start building my team? And that fundamentally was about lead gen. And so I had worked with the team for, I don't know, five or six months to and do all the interviews and write the course. And then Gary wanted to write the introduction. And he took the course home for the weekend and he came back with an essay. It's like 14 pages called The Power of One. And we sat down that afternoon. Dave Jinks and I both read it. Dave Jinks was still alive then. And uh, I turned to Gary and I said, you know, when I read this, the first thing I thought was this could be a book. And he goes, I thought the same thing. So that's where it started. Um, and we all know, like, if you ask anybody in real estate, any coach in real estate, you say, what's your one thing? What is it for everybody in real estate? It's lead gen. Right. So this lead gen course kind of birthed this idea of the one thing. Um, we started outlining it with Dave Jinks at that moment. But then the market shifted. Because if you remember, it started shifting. I, we saw it at the end of 2005. But by about 2007, we were headed towards a cliff. Mm -hmm. And I think Lehman Brothers was 2008. Yeah. And um, I remember Gary, like as much as fun as we were having, you know, exploring the one thing, we like, this will be our first broad business book. Um, we all agreed together. I just remember the meeting. I said, I think our one thing right now is to help our agents and franchisees navigate what became the Great Recession. Mm -hmm. And so we were writing a book about focus. We allowed ourselves intentionally to get distracted by this other book called Shift. And we wrote that in about six months. Um, and that went on to be its own bestseller. And then after that period, we went back to the writing table and published the one thing in 2013. Yeah, I, I remember talking to you early on. And I think you even came out. We were one of the first places you presented when you came out to Houston. And we were talking about the book and the amount of research. I didn't realize the amount of time that was over. I didn't realize it was even pre-shift that y'all had started working on that book. And I, I think people have the misconception you can just sit down and write a book, you know, in a short period of time. It was about shift. four and a half years from start to finish for yeah. us to write and research the one thing. And the amount of research that, that went into that. I remember you saying there were stacks and stacks of, of research. Not all of it could even go into the book, you know. Oh, a um, lot of it we couldn't. Yeah. So you know, with, with the one thing and, you know, you're talking about the economy and, and the shift, um, you know, back, back in the, the or two mid two thousands, probably we experienced it all the way through 10, 2010, maybe even 11. And the market right now is a little different. Um, it's, it's a very interesting market. What do you think is the one thing that agents continue to need to do? And I think I know the answer to this. Today? Mm -hmm. I think I, they need to work their core database. Um, the more I study real estate businesses, the more P&Ls I look at and ask the question, you know, where does your business come from? Um, repeat referral, right? The biggest teams to the smallest teams, it's going to be 50% or more. 
So it's always just number one with very rare exceptions about where the business comes from. And so what we know is that's the foundation. It is the business that has the lowest cost of customer acquisition. Those are the easiest right conversions to make from lead to appointment to close because they all have a certain level of familiarity. Either they know you and want to do business with you or refer business, or they're a repeat customer and they're coming back for more. And so managing that at a high level, I think is always an agent's number one. Now, that's the universal. Are you talking about if we're going into a shifted market, I can walk you through shift, like get your head on straight <laughs> and go right to your expenses and get ahead of dropping revenue. That's a slightly different playbook, but you don't get to quit lead generating. Yeah, I don't think it changes. And sometimes you've got to crank it up even just a tad bit more. Um, yeah. Okay, so so the one thing is work the core database. And you know, one of the interesting things I found, I was reading a book uh, that was talking about, you know, the, the trends right now, as far as the way people communicate. And, you know, I think about 10 years ago in real estate, when you could do mass production emails and, you know, a lot of the haven't nets, right. And you could capture some of those. And I, and it feels like communication has really changed with the consumer. It's like, they're harder to talk to because they're not picking up their phone. So you gotta, you gotta change up your strategy. Um, you know, they're on, there's 15, 20 different social media platforms, like which ones are they on? And what are you seeing there in the way that people are communicating? Is it more communication or more attracting, or is it a combination of both? Um, I think that we always preach, you want to be prospecting based and marketing enhanced. And I think agents should choose how they approach both prospecting, which is seeking business and and marketing, which is attracting it um, based on what they're good at and what they enjoy. And because the things that they inherently get some something out of and that they're good at, they're going to do more consistently and better. So I don't know. I don't, I, did, I don't know how to answer that question because I don't think the answer is there's a universal answer. Sure. I think you have to find what you're willing to commit to. And for some people, it's like they're going to call their database four times a year. So I know some people that a big part of their sphere program is going on social and interacting with people through DMs and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, and then the marketing, like they can go back to that same sphere or strangers and be marketing to them across those platforms. So um, it's probably not the answer you were looking for, but maybe ask it again and I'll see if I well, can hear it differently. I, I but I no, think it's I think so particular to the agent's strengths and choices about how they want to run their business. And I think you hit it. And I think that's the beauty of real estate, right? Is there's there's a hundred different ways to do it. You've got to pick one though. And you and you gotta you gotta run with it. Yeah. Be committed to it and, and enjoy it. I, th I think that that consistency matters a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, showing up every day and doing even a little bit um, matters. Yeah, I always I say that consistency, uh, consistency and being intentional, right? Yeah. There's, there's a, I think of it, one way to look at it is you're kind of creating energy in your business and all of your outreach creates, outreach creates a certain amount of energy. And at a certain point, you start getting that back in the form of, I have a question or I have a real estate need, right? Mm -hmm. I remember during um, COVID, we were doing our care calls to our sphere and um, Wendy stumbled on, my wife, Wendy's the salesperson, but I was doing it to my database too. 
but she's like, if you go into um, your keyboard settings on your phone, you know, when you type in TY, what does it do every time? Thank you. Thank you. You can create shortcuts for different scripted messages. So like I had one that was started with a comma and I would just write Jeremy and then I would write, you know, no social 21. Like it was some string that I could easily type and that would be, hey man, the world's crazy right now. How are you doing? I just wanted to check in on you and I thought a text would be inobtrusive and respond whenever you feel like it. But like, could knock out like 50 of those, right? Really quickly, just working through my database because it's just like a name and a few letters. Mm-hmm. So it got personalized and then it got generic. And then you got to hit all these people. And then for the rest of the day, you're getting message energy back in return that some of that turned into meaningful conversations. Like I wasn't trying to recruit real estate. Mm-hmm. I've got a license, but that's not my job. I was doing Another thing, I was checking in all the authors and writers in my world that I may want to work with or partner with or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a brilliant tip. If somebody takes that away today, I I talk about it with my clients is using the the text auto text and yeah. starting the conversation right or getting on Facebook and doing a DM. You know, starting ten of those in the morning and just as you go throughout the day, you're you're responding to them. They're responding to you. It, it really is true. It's the energy that you put out. You'll you'll get back. Yep. So what is your favorite strategy in the one thing that you keep as, as an individual, you keep going back to? Well, I mean, time blocking. I mean, I think it's where the rubber hits the road. It's identifying your one thing as a gift, right? Just knowing and figuring out kind of what your real priority is, whether it be for the day, the week, the month, the year, or your career is a gift in itself. But then how you make it happen, you know, the simple act of making an appointment with yourself and then protecting that. And I've just gotten really good and I've got lots and lots of systems around that for trying to protect it. And occasionally, you know, life happens and it all gets disrupted and you have to rebuild. I've do that a few times, but generally that's helped me be very persistent over a long period of time with some core habits that drive a lot of my success. Uh, very good. Um, what's your biggest What's your biggest failure or challenge that you've had to overcome? What did you learn for that from that, and how has that served you well? Um, all of my biggest failures have involved people, right? I think that um, they hurt the most because if you make a bad hire and you have to fire someone later, and I'm using that, it's not like not everybody is a bad hire, right? I mean, sometimes you just hired wrong. Um, but those are always the most painful for me. And so I've just been on a journey around succeeding through others. And that's made a lot of my world possible. I believe in it. I'm very committed to it. Um, and helping others build wealth has been, you know, like that's part of the promise I make, you know, it's like, if we go into business together, it's not going to be just Wendy and I winning. I want us both to win and let's, let's draw it out. And what does that look like? Um, but I've just made mistakes. Um, It's very hard to build lasting business relationships. Gary and I have been working together for 22 years. You know, it's three times longer than the average marriage. There's this thing called the seven-year itch, and it's really a seven to 12-year, but people need something fundamentally to to change. Um, And 
like I think of myself here, I've been here so long, I'm actually kind of on my third or fourth career. I just been able to have them all in the same within the context of the same partnership. And that's allowed me to keep a fresh view on my work and showing up and the energy is good. So I don't know, like uh, there just seems like there's an infinite amount for me to learn about how better to succeed through others. And all of my biggest mistakes are there. I just, again and again and again, every single year, I feel like I do a face plant at a higher level from a greater altitude that's more painful, but I'm committed to learning. And I, I just don't think you get to live a big life without making big mistakes. Uh, that's that's a hundred percent true, and and it's it's what you take and you learn from those and and move forward with. That's that's so important. Um, so one final question: You went from writing, you got hired to write newsletters, to where you are today. Could you imagine yourself in this position now when you took on that initial job? No, you never can. I think that's actually a great question um, to reflect on. You know, I remember it happened for Wendy and I a couple of years back. She was driving back from Houston. She taught a class there and we were catching up, right? It was the time of day we normally would go for a walk with the dog. And she and I don't talk a lot on the phone because I'm not that social, but like we talk in person. And I was just catching up with her, waiting on her to get home. And a car in front of her threw up a rock and smashed her windshield. And I heard her scream and I was like, oh my God, what happened? And she goes, oh, just my windshield's busted. We'll have to get it replaced. And we just went right back to the conversation. I said, I'm glad you're okay, whatever. Um, and I remember she got home and I was like, you remember it wasn't that long ago that a smashed windshield would have been not just a bad day, but like it would have been a bad week for us. We would obsessed over it, how much it was going to cost, how much hassle it would be to get it repaired. And I think you just sometimes have to look back and appreciate how much we're all growing all the time. And that was just like a a specific instance of that. But no, there's no way I could have envisioned I'd be managing that many people. I would have told you it was possible because I'm either optimistic that way or overly confident, right? Um, I also know that I don't, I'm not meant to manage a lot of people. Like right now, I think I've got 44 employees under me and um, 11 direct reports. And that's too many and it's temporary and I'm, I'm, you know, we lost an executive. I took over six new direct reports and I want to make sure that they have an accountability partner and a sounding board, all of those things. But I also just know that ultimately what I've learned over those years is my biggest contributions are going to come from writing um, or my ability to see solutions and communicate them simply. I just happen to love to do that through writing. You know, I launched a new newsletter this year called the 20 percenter. That's been a passion project. I just, you know, part of my growth this year um, was to force myself into a weekly deadline versus I can go years without writing a book, but this forced me into a rhythm of every week. I had an obligation to put something out by 6 a.m. on a Friday. And my assistant was like, how did you know when to go? And I was like, I kept preparing to prepare, right? I delayed it a couple of months, but eventually I just said, I'm going to go and I'm going to make it work and it's going to be painful and I'm going to make mistakes. But she goes, well, how do you do that? And I just said, I think about in 52 weeks when I'm looking back after 52 repetitions of having to write an essay every single week, 
that's going to become very easy. And I'm going to look back at me today, just a year before, and laugh about how afraid and tense I was about that journey. And so that's why I'm doing it, because the sooner I start, the sooner I get through the awkward teenage years of whatever this new thing is and get to a place where you just don't realize that you've gotten stronger than you were before. And things that would have daunted you before don't daunt you anymore. That People just underestimate the power of that every single year in their lives. Yeah, I think that's amazing. And if you get anything out of this podcast episode, that was it right there. And oh, you um, saved it for the last question. <laughs> I, I know. Uh, I'd say the best for last. So I'm going to have to tell everybody fast forward. You know, don't don't quit on me. Uh, so no, that's that's great advice, and uh, you know that's why I do the podcast. You know, it's it's a it's something to challenge me. It's I've got a deadline every Friday, seven a.m. It better be going out. You know, and it does when you when you look back, it's amazing how much you learn. And and you know, going back and talking about vision is we can have those visions, and but I think it's always in the hindsight that we realize how much we've been blessed over that time. So I'll say this, a lot of high achievers, they barely celebrate their victories, much less reflect on the journey to get there. Mm. And so um, I do think that there's an opportunity for all of us. Like if there was one thing I would tell them to do based on like you like that statement would be to sit down right now and ask like in the last month or the last year, like where's an area that if I talked to myself before, they would be surprised about what I'm doing today. And there's always going to be something. It might be, I like raw tomatoes where I used to hate them or, right? It could be something really stupid, but we're growing creatures. That's the nature of being human. And, you know, like I survived COVID, right? I survived having toddlers at home. Like I would have not, you weren't sure about it then, but in hindsight, it's over and you did. I think we're a lot more resilient than we think. And we're growing more often than, than we imagine. Yeah, amazing. Well, Jay, thank you for being on the show today. If somebody wants to reach out and connect with you or learn more about what you're doing or some of your passion projects, how do they do that? Um, well, if they Google Jay Papazan, like I'm the only one in the world, I believe. So they'll find me in all like the one thing.com. Um, my newest project, which I'm proud of for real estate professionals is the 20 percenter. And that's at the 20 percenter.com. And it's a free newsletter. That's that. That's my journey. And I hope that, you know, 52 volumes later, I'll have grown even more as a writer. Yeah, I love that. I, I just read the, the Pebble in the Stream one. That was great. So yay! I appreciate you, Jay. And, and um, I know you're going to impact some lives today. And uh, those that tune in in the future, uh, they're going to get some great information from this episode. That's going to not only help them in their business, but help them in their life. So thank you again, Jay. Happy to be here. Thank you for listening to the Survive, Scale, Soar podcast. If you heard something that made a difference in your life today, share it with someone that might benefit and subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. Learn more about the host of this podcast and coaching services offered by Red Hawk Coaching by visiting www.redhawkcoaching.com.